Isn't it good to rest? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Over the course of six days, God made the world and everything in it. After his work was completed, he looked upon all that he had made and said it was very good. On the seventh day, he rested. Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 says, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For on it he rested from all his work of creation. Now when God rested on the seventh day, it wasn't because he was tired or exhausted, but because his work was complete. And yet simultaneously, God was modeling the pattern for how mankind would live and flourish in his creation. Six days of work, one day of rest. God formally instituted the Sabbath into the life and rhythm of his people when he gave the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. A few chapters later, while still up on Mount Sinai receiving God's instructions, God tells Moses in Exodus 31 that if anyone works on that one day a week, they were to be put to death. You see, the Sabbath was a big deal to Israel because the Sabbath is a big deal to God. Furthermore, when the Jews would take one day a week to rest from their work, they were setting themselves apart from the rest of the world. They were showing the nations around them that they belonged to the Lord. They were showing themselves as unique and distinct than the rest of the nations around them. Therefore, throughout Israel's history, the people would work six days and have one day of rest. But is physical rest the ultimate purpose of the Sabbath? Well, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus makes a bold declaration in which he proclaims that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the one who created it, Genesis chapter 1. He is the one who instituted it, Exodus chapter 20. And Jesus is the one who is our ultimate Sabbath. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 2. We're going through the gospel of Mark as a faith family in our sermon series called On the Move. And this is a fast paced rhythm of Mark's gospel. He covers a lot of ground quickly. I was talking with a man in our church last week out in the atrium and he, he said the gospel of Mark is kind of like Mark has ADD. He can't seem to stay focused on one thing. And I was like, that is so good. You're, you're spot on. Like Mark makes lots of quick pivots from one story of Jesus to another. And Mark organizes his writing not on chronological order of a timeline, but rather he groups them together in themes. Over the past three weeks, we've seen uh, these five different conflicts between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. We saw back in Mark chapter two, the religious leaders accused Jesus of blasphemy for claiming to have the power to forgive sins. In Mark chapter 2, verse 16, religious leaders criticized Jesus for eating with sinners and tax collectors. 
In Mark chapter two, verse 18, religious leaders questioned Jesus on why his disciples were not fasting. Now we get to the last two conflicts in this section between Jesus and the religious leaders, and it ends with Jesus angry at the Pharisees and the Pharisees plotting to kill Jesus. Look with me in Mark chapter two, beginning with verse 23. Scripture says, On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, Stand before us. Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? to save life or to kill. But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. In these two confrontations, the Pharisees accused Jesus of breaking the traditions of the Sabbath. Yet in the text, Jesus reveals how they are the ones who have missed the point of the Sabbath entirely. Notice in the text that, number one, the Sabbath is designed to be a blessing, not a burden. It's designed to be a blessing, not a burden. Verse 23 says, on the Sabbath, that word for Sabbath, it means to cease, to stop to rest. Shalom is a synonym for Sabbath, which means peace. It's a day in which Jews stop working and physically rest from their work. This practice is continued even to this day where devout Jews will stop all activities and they rest. When Christy and I were in Israel back in April, we had to have our group's plan rescheduled because on that Saturday that we were there, everything closed due to the Shabbat, due to the Sabbath. Well, as Jesus is walking through the grain fields here in the text, his disciples are picking heads of grain to eat. They were plucking the tops of the grain, rubbing the grain between their hands, blowing the chaff away, and then eating the kernels inside. Now, this was not considered stealing from someone else's property because Deuteronomy 23, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to the standing grain. Well, since it was the Sabbath, the Pharisees blow their whistles. They call a foul. They ask Jesus, verse 24, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You see, the tone of their question is one of hatred and disdain for Jesus. You see, according to rabbinic tradition, no one is allowed to pick grain on the Sabbath. No one is allowed to remove the shell on the Sabbath. No one is allowed to rub the heads of grain on the Sabbath. No one is allowed to throw chaff into the air on the Sabbath. And no one is allowed to prepare a meal on the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees were notorious for splitting hairs when it came to strict obedience to their religious traditions. Who cares if someone's hungry? There are regulations to uphold. There are standards to keep. You see, the Pharisees, they had created this strict religious system that required every Jew to keep all 613 laws of the Torah 
plus oral tradition plus rituals for ceremonial purification. They were a prideful group. They thought they were justified by keeping the law. To them, external religion earned God's favor. But Jesus sees right through the facade and he responds to their question with a question. That's frequently Jesus' response to these Pharisees. They ask him a question, he'll, he'll come right back with a question towards them. He asked, verse 25, have you never read? Oh, I love this. This is so good. This is so good. It's kind of like when someone starts throwing religious shade at you, point them to the scriptures. Do what Jesus does in verse 25. Have you never read? You open up the word and say, let's dig in and see if what you're claiming is true. Notice also the accusational nature of his question. Verse 25, have you never read? What's Jesus doing here? He's pointing them back to the Old Testament. He's pointing them to the authority of scripture that the Pharisees recognize. But then Jesus also underlines how they have missed the point. You think you've mastered the scriptures? I'm gonna use your own authority against you. He asks them, verse 25, have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? Gave them this bread to eat because they were hungry. Because God does not want them to starve. You see, for these Pharisees, they have missed the point of the Sabbath. They were more concerned about keeping their laws and traditions rather than hungry people being fed. You see, the Sabbath was designed by God not to be a burden to bear, but a blessing to embrace. It's a day of rest, a day of peace, where people can be replenished and restored. It's not a day of stress over who's keeping all these different laws that they couldn't keep in the first place. Jesus' point was that if King David and his men were allowed to eat the bread from the tabernacle to feed their hungry stomachs, then Jesus and his men are allowed to eat grain from the fields. But don't miss what Jesus is doing in verses 25 and 26. Jesus is connecting himself with King David. If we had more time, we would unpack these connections between Jesus and David. Jesus and David, both born in Bethlehem. David was a shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. David was a king of Israel. Jesus is the king of Israel. There are connections between here. God makes a covenant with David in which he says, your throne is going to last forever. Enter Jesus of Nazareth, who sits on the throne of David, and his kingdom will never end. So here is Jesus making a connection with David, making this association with him. And we see here, Jesus is the true and greater David, who, verse 23, is feeding his men. But the Pharisees, they missed the point. The Sabbath is designed to be a blessing, not a burden. But secondly, the Sabbath is designed to point us to Jesus. Verse 27, then Jesus told them, the Sabbath was made for man. Here Jesus is driving home that the Sabbath was given by God for our good. It's for physical rest. 
But instead of the Sabbath serving man, the Pharisees saw to it that man served the Sabbath. And Jesus is telling them, you guys have got it backwards. You see, you can lay motionless for 24 hours and still miss the point. Because the Sabbath is not about a body position, it's about a person. Verse 28, Jesus says, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In reference to himself, the Son of Man, Jesus is declaring his deity. He is declaring, I am God. I am Lord even over the Sabbath. And Jesus is pointing God's original design here of the Sabbath, which is ultimately rest in him. You see, physical rest on the Sabbath was designed to point to ultimate spiritual rest in Christ. This is God's design. In verse 28, Jesus is declaring he is Lord over the Sabbath. You guys are trying to keep up with your religious traditions and your laws and all these things you're trying to get to earn God's. You've missed it. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Physical rest is pointing to ultimate rest in me. Jesus is driving these men to himself. He is the one who gave the fourth commandment. He is the one who kept the fourth commandment. He is the one who fulfills the fourth commandment for us. Jesus is the point of the Sabbath because Jesus is your ultimate rest. Jesus is the one who brings ultimate Sabbath. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28? Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Jesus came to give you rest. The physical rest of the Sabbath is driving you to ultimate spiritual rest in Christ. He is the one who came to fulfill the law that you couldn't fulfill. He is the one who came to die in your place. He is the one who did all of the work necessary for your salvation. And so you don't have to keep laboring and trying to get God to like you. He already loves you. And he says, look not to your own work, but look to the work of my son. If you are tired and weary, if religious rituals and traditions are just exhausting you, come to Jesus and find rest. Sabbath in the gospel. Rest in the finished work of Jesus for you. Jesus is your Sabbath. He is the one who came to give you rest. Stop trying to pull up the bootstraps on your own salvation. Your good works are never good enough for God's perfect standard. It's impossible. It's like trying to grab the wind. It'll never happen. Your works are never good enough for God to look upon. No, he says, look to the work of my son. And if you're trying to boast in your own abilities, you're trying to boast in your good works, if you're trying to look to your own goodness to earn God's favor, it's belittling the cross. It's minimizing what God did through the work of his son. And so you and I in the gospel, we don't keep laboring, trying to earn God's favor, trying to keep the law. The point of the law is that you can't keep it. It's driving you to the perfect lawgiver and the law keeper, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is your ultimate Sabbath. And so you rest in Christ. 
Now, one of the more common questions that Christians will ask is, do I have to keep the Sabbath? Do I need to obey the Old Testament law of keeping the Sabbath? The apostle Paul says no. Why? Because it will lead us back into slavery. In Galatians 4, verse 9, Paul says, But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. You see, Paul's fear is that the Galatian church is continually going back to the old wineskins of Judaism. They're trying to keep the law because don't do that. Why? Because it leads to slavery rather than freedom. Jesus came so that you can be set free from the bondage of religion. He came to set you free from the bondage of trying to keep the law. He implores them, do not go back. Don't go back to trying to keep these Old Testament laws. You can't keep them anyways. Look to Christ who fulfilled the law perfectly. He tells the Colossian church in Colossians 2 verse 16, the Sabbath day is a shadow of what was to come, namely Christ. Meaning all of the laws of the Old Testament were a shadow of the real thing, Jesus. Jesus is the one that they're looking to. You see, keeping the law is not the point of the Sabbath. Resting in the work of the lawgiver and the law keeper, Jesus Christ, that's the point of the Sabbath. Hear me, beloved. The, the gospel calls you away from working to earn your salvation. You do not work to earn God's favor, but rather you rest in God's favored son. You're not trying to muster up God's approval. You look upon the approval of Jesus. And God says, when you turn from your sin and look by faith, you rest in the finished work of my son, I will receive you. God receives you when you not keep trying to earn his applause. You're resting in the work of Christ. You're trusting your soul not to how well you can keep all these rules and rituals and traditions. You're banking your soul upon Jesus and what he did for you. This morning, if you are looking for other things to earn favor with God, stop. Cease. Rest. Sabbath in the gospel. Thirdly, what we see here in the text is that the Sabbath is designed to bring restoration. It's designed to bring restoration. Chapter three, verse one, Jesus enters the synagogue again and there was a man with a shriveled hand. Now the Pharisees, they're expecting Jesus to heal this man. They're expecting on the Sabbath day for Jesus to perform a miracle. And so they're watching carefully, eyes wide open, like lions waiting to pounce on breakfast. Verse two, watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. 
But Jesus knows their hearts. He knows their motives. And so to put his glory on full display, he calls the man forward to come and stand center stage for all to see. This is not going to be a private miracle. Jesus wants to make sure everybody can see what he is about to do. There's nothing secret about it, and he's making sure everyone's watching and paying attention. And so once again, Jesus asks the Pharisees a simple question. Verse four, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? What's Jesus doing here? He is pulling back the curtain on the motivations of their hearts. Like a shrewd police detective, he asks one simple question. So easy, a child can answer it. And their answer is, verse 4, silence. Easy question. Obvious answer. They refuse to answer. Jesus was making them choose between their traditions and the heart of God. Keep rituals or save lives. How does Jesus respond? Verse five, he looks around at them with anger. Imagine, imagine the face of Jesus. The look on the Savior's face grieved at their hard hearts. The meek and lowly Jesus the one who is tender and the one who is kind, the God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, looking around the synagogue with anger. Here's Jesus, God come in the flesh, who is angry with religious leaders of Israel, whose hearts are so hard, they refuse to answer the simplest of questions. Do you remember what made God angry when Israel was brought out of Egypt? Hardness of hearts. In fact, the writer of Hebrews recounts the Lord's response from back in Exodus. He writes in Hebrews 3, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Question, do you have an unbelieving heart? Do you have pride in your heart? Do not allow sin's deceitfulness to harden your heart towards the Lord. Do not harden your heart against the Lord, but rather, Hebrews 3.13, encourage each other daily. Isn't that interesting? One of the weapons you and I get to wage against the enemy is that we get to fight for one another's faith and not hardening our hearts, encouraging one another. Your words matter, y'all. 
It matters how you speak to and about one another. We get to help fight our brothers and sisters hardening their hearts towards the Lord by encouraging one another. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end, the reality that we had at the start. If you fall into the deception of sin, if you harden your heart against the Lord on the last day, the Savior will look upon you with anger. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. Let's not allow sin's deceitfulness and deception to allow our hearts to harden towards the Lord. If today you sense that your heart is hardening towards God, beg him, plead with him, show me mercy and he will show you mercy. God, soften my heart. Give me a humble and contrite heart, one that trembles at your word. God, give me a heart that is lowly and meek and mild. I want to be like Christ. God, give me a heart that doesn't become prideful. Here is Jesus scoping out the synagogue and seeing these men whose hearts were hard, and he was angry. He was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Don't allow sin to do that. Let's encourage one another. Let's build one another up to pursue hard after Christ. Keep going. He loves you. Humble yourself. Look to Jesus. Rest in him. Well, to prove his authority as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus commands the man with the withered hand to stretch out his hand. And then all of a sudden, all to be here for this, the bones began to grow. The tissue began to form. The muscles were strengthened. The skin begins to stretch. And the man is healed. Verse 5, his hand was restored. This, this is the point of the Sabbath. Finding restoration. This is God's design for the Sabbath, a day set aside to be restored in Christ. God designed the Sabbath to be life-giving, a day of restoration. And Jesus is showing these religious leaders the purpose of the Sabbath, a day designed by God that is life-giving, a day to be restored, strengthened, just like this man's hand. Verse 5 should be a moment of celebration, except... The Pharisees become angry. They storm out of the synagogue and they begin to plot, verse 6, with their enemies, the Herodians, on how they were going to kill Jesus. Now, the Herodians were Jews who supported King Herod. They were politically loyal to Herod and to Rome. They embraced Roman culture. They embraced Roman paganism. They embraced Roman sexual immorality. They were all about moving with the times, the exact things the Pharisees were against. These two groups are oil and water, and yet they had a common enemy, Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. Isn't it interesting that verse six, both the progressives and the conservatives hate Jesus? Let's not miss that. 
and our politically tumultuous time, as we navigate these turbulent waters, to stand with Jesus means you have to be ready to be hated by both sides. You have to be saying, I stand with Jesus before I stand with the political party. My allegiance first is to a king. My allegiance is to Jesus. And if you take that stand, be prepared. Both sides will hate you. But you're in good company because they hated Jesus. Isn't it interesting? They thought it was wrong to heal a man on the Sabbath. But okay, verse six, to plot to kill Jesus. Don't miss the irony here. In the days to come, the Herodians and the Pharisees would be successful. They will fulfill their evil desires of killing Jesus on the cross. And yet Jesus will have the final say on the third day. For some of you, Playing religion and keeping man-made laws is keeping you from resting in Jesus. Today is the day. Do not harden your heart. I pray, ask the Lord to give you a soft, tender heart towards Jesus and look to him to find rest. For others of us in this room, religion is not what's hindering you from finding your rest. Your schedule is hindering you from finding rest. We live in a culture where busyness is a badge of honor. Productivity is the highest of priorities. And the very thing we boast in prevents us from the greatest priority, rest in Christ. Many of you are running around like your hair is on fire. You can't remember the last time you turned off your cell phone. You got rid of notifications. You got rid of distractions and you just rested. In Christ. This is a call in which you rest. Hear me. If you cannot sit still in silence for an extended period of time, your soul is sick. You need a Sabbath. You need to rest. Yes, rest physically, but ultimately rest in Christ. For some of you, sports has ruled your life. You're so busy chasing your children to different ball fields or staying up too late on Saturday nights. And you neglect gathering faithfully every week on Sunday. Well, hold on, Kenneth. You just said the Sabbath is on Saturday. It is. You just said we're no longer under law, but under grace. We are. Your salvation is not dependent upon gathering. But hear me, being a Christ follower, it is certainly more than coming to church, but it's certainly not less. Your soul needs rest. You need every week brothers and sisters who will remind you to rest in Jesus. My soul, your soul needs encouragement. We need one another to regularly gather together and say, stop working so hard. Rest in Christ. Trust in him. Physically take a break. Yes, but ultimately find rest for your soul in Jesus. He's come to set you free. 
And we need one another to remind each other that we've got to stop and rest. Rest in the finished work of Jesus. Kenneth, what are you calling us to do? It's the impact point. Rest in the finished work of Jesus for you. If you find yourself so busy that you can't stop and rest, you need to Sabbath. Rest in the finished work of Jesus. Yeah, your body needs it, but more than that, your soul needs it. You need rest in Jesus. He is your ultimate rest. 